Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here this morning. Let's all stand together. We'll make a joyful noise. Appreciate you coming out. Brother Ken will lead us this morning. Amen. Sing with us now as we do I Know My Name Is There. We'll do three verses today. That's I Know My Name Is There. I rise above all doubt and strife and read my title clear. I know, I know, my name is there. I know, I know, my name is written there. My name once stood sinners lost and bore a painful record but by this blood the Savior crossed and placed it on his roll I know Brother Ken, let's remain standing for prayer this morning. I got three or four prayer requests, but let me ask you, how many of you are chilly right now? You're not going to enjoy heaven because this is what heaven's going to feel like. Amen. Let me give you some quick prayer requests this morning. Please pray for Sister Kim Ferguson. She goes December 1st for hip surgery up in Roanoke. Please lift her up in prayer. Pray, uh, continue to lift up Sister Chelsea, if you would. Uh, she's back on the transplant list. That's a blessing. Uh, and so we're praying for God to send a donor her way quickly. Please pray for her, if you would. Sister Patsy Gunner. Uh, goes on January the 9th for kidney surgery uh, up in Roanoke. Lift her up in prayer. Our dear friend, Sister Robin Rogers, has got eye surgery coming up. And then Miss Ellen Harefield, we found out yesterday, uh, has been diagnosed with pancreatitis. And you know that's not a fun condition. Uh, so please lift up Miss Ellen if you would. If you've got special prayer requests this morning, lift your hand up and let's pray together. Father, we come to you now. In the precious name of Jesus, that name that is above every name. And we're so thankful for the opportunity that you've given us to be in your house today. Thank you for the opportunity to come into people's homes, whether they're joining us here in the parking lot. Lord, whether they're joining us via live stream, we're just glad to be able to have church today. Lord, I pray your blessings now upon our services, God. The songwriter has told us that all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. So, Lord, we're going to ask you to descend in our midst today. Lord, if there's anyone watching this morning that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray this would be the day, the moment, the hour 
that you'd send the Spirit of God to convict them. And Lord, for everyone else, may we listen with open ears and a heart that's ready to receive the Word of God today. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for your blessings upon us. Even in difficult times, uh, we can stand boldly and proclaim the goodness of God, the blessings of God, and the mercies of God. Bless all that happens today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you so much for being here. We do appreciate your presence today. A full parking lot. I think you understand that whenever we can have the services outside, we're trying to do that. And so we're glad to be able to do that this morning. Thank you to the crew who got here early once again to get everything set up. This is a quite a production. Uh, uh, you don't just show up and turn a button on. This takes quite a bit of doing. And I appreciate these folks who are so uh, faithful to make sure we have this capacity. Let me give you uh, several announcements this morning. Lord willing, this coming Wednesday night, we will resume Kids Corner. That happens at 6 o'clock. So parents, grandparents, get your children tuned in to James's Kids Corner this coming uh, Wednesday at 6 o'clock. And of course, on 7 o'clock, we will have our uh, regular Bible study. And we invite you to join us either in the sanctuary or via live stream. Let me also remind you to continue to pray. We've got lots of folks in our community, in our church family. Either they directly or their families indirectly are dealing with COVID. And let me encourage you to continue to be vigilant. Uh, I, I'm praying that hope is around the corner, amen, and that it won't be long until we're back inside worshiping the King of Kings together. But you be vigilant and take good care of yourself. Pray for those in our church who are uh, dealing with it. I want to invite you on uh, uh, December the 13th, which is two Sundays from today, uh, we'll be hosting a drive-in sh baby shower for uh, Lickin' Lick Nidia. They've been married for two years, and I'm still calling them Lickin' Nidia. Nick and Lydia and the new baby, Josie, uh, it will be a drive-in shower here at the church in the parking lot from 2 to 4. Everything will be boxed up so that you don't have to get out. Uh, and uh, they are registered at Target. So if you uh, want to participate, we'd sure appreciate that. We'll make it worth your while with a little sweet treat. And it'll all be individually wrapped and boxed. That'll be, again, two Sundays from today, December the 13th from 2 to 4 p.m. And then also a reminder, our new church masks are in. So if you don't have those or if you've lost yours, uh, uh, we've got plenty now that we've ordered. We'd love to get them to you for you to wear them in the community. Don't forget to tag us in social media, and we'll get that out to you. And then also want to invite you, Lord willing and weather permitting, to a very special service here on Wednesday, December the 23rd at 7 o'clock. We're going to have an evening Christmas service uh, Everything here looks beautiful, but you ought to see it at nighttime. It is spectacular. And then on, De so then on December the 23rd, we're at 7 o'clock. We're going to host a, a, a drive-in service, Lord willing, uh, and weather permitting as we celebrate the birth of the king. E if it snows six inches, it'll look even prettier, so we'll come out anyway. All right? Brother Ken, you come get ready to sing for us. While Ken's coming, I'll also remind you that we have our December Daily Breads and Call to Glories. Those are here up front. You picked those up this morning. I ask Brother Ken to sing this song because it goes along with our message this morning. I hope you understand that when we are in our most difficult hour, our God shines the brightest. I want you to listen as Ken sings sweet things. I want to know him 
walk closer. I want to learn about the heart that was broken for me. It may require suffering, but I am willing for the darker the valley, the more clearly I see.
darkest moments he shines the brightest amen let's all stand together one more time we'll sing uh, and let you warm up just a little bit and then we'll get into the word of god brother ken come lead us this morning amen ain't it sweet to trust in jesus this morning we'll sing a couple verses of that today tis so sweet to trust in jesus amen so much you can be seated this morning if you have your bibles please turn with us now if you would to song of solomon turn to song of solomon chapter number two this morning song of solomon chapter number two this morning if you would please we're going to begin this morning in just a few moments by reading verses one and verse two of song of solomon chapter two a book of the Bible, candidly, that is probably one of the least preached books of all 66 in our canon. I'm always amazed because it almost feels like sometimes preachers are a little bit afraid of this book. This is a book that beautifully speaks of the marriage relationship between the husband and the wife. If you read it, and you take it simply at face value, you understand that it is an ongoing conversation between Song of Sol or Solomon and the bride, and it is a beautiful picture of the intimate relationship between the husband and the wife. But by way of application, there are also some important elements beyond just the marriage relationship. Let me pause a moment and say to you, by giving you this application, I am by no means undermining the importance of this book and the beauty it represents for the husband and wife. Would you listen to me carefully? I am more convinced than ever that our nation, our community, and our churches need strong, godly homes. They are the fabric of our society. They are the underpinning of our culture. They are the bedrock of our nation. And one of the ways that our enemy has gotten a stronghold in our country, in our community, and in our churches is by destroying the family unit that God ordained. 
So I'm going to give you a different application this morning. But I don't want you to think that I am by any means getting away from the critical infrastructure, uh, the underpinning of our society, which was, is, and always will be a God-centered, Christ-honoring home. But I want to go in a little bit of a different direction this morning for this application. And I want to tell you why I'm heading this direction. Last week, I was reading a widely publicized news article that dealt with some of the unexpected consequences of COVID. If I were to stand up here this morning and rattle off statistics, most of you have heard all of them. You know about the ones that have unfortunately died because of COVID. You know some of you here have dealt with the physical aspects of COVID. You know what it's like uh, to go through uh, uh, days and days of those physical uh, anomalies that you have to deal with. Yet the article and the study that so pricked my heart did not look at the physical aspects of COVID, but rather did a very deep study on some of the mental uh, aspects of what our society is dealing with. We are only beginning to scratch the surface to understand the mental aspects that our nation, our communities, and our churches are undergoing. I mentioned this a couple of times in the last several months. But when we stood up before you on March the 15th there in the sanctuary, the Sunday before the governor shut everything down, and we said to you, I said in the pulpit that there would be communities that would not survive. There would be businesses that would not survive. It never in a million years dawned on me that there would also be churches that would not survive. What really pricked my heart as I began to read the, this study was the simple reality that the last seven months uh, have seen a skyrocket in depression, have seen suicide rates uh, for the first time in 50 years uh, begin to escalate across multiple demographics. You know what that says to me? That says that even those that are not suffering from the physical aspects of COVID, you may have never been diagnosed with coronavirus, uh, there are mental aspects, uh, there are emotional aspects of what we are dealing with uh, that are permeating every fabric of our society. Let me give it to you another way. Times are difficult for all of us. These are challenging emotional, social times. Most of us are fed up with what we're dealing with. Can I get a witness? But let me remind you, as I said a few minutes ago, be vigilant, don't quit yet. I want to give you a message this morning that looks at the special relationship between the bride and the bridegroom. I want to give you a message that looks specifically at the unique relationship between Song of Solomon and his chosen bride. And I want to remind everybody this morning that for those of us that know the Lord, that we too are chosen people. It is high time that we as God's people uh, lift our head up out of the dirt and place our skyward gaze heavenward uh, because we are a chosen people. 
Peter says that as well. He reminds us we are ambassadors, a, a chosen nation, special, unique. So I want to give you a message this morning I'm entitling, We Are the Chosen Ones. Notice, if you would, please, Song of Solomon, chapter 2. To begin with, we will just read two verses. The bridegroom, Solomon speaking, says, I am the rose of Sharon. Can we just stop right there and say amen? Yes, he is. He goes on to say, and the lily of the valleys. In verse 1, he's talking about himself. Now in verse 2, he redirects his attention. He's no longer talking about himself, but he's talking about his bride. And he says, as the lily among thorns... So is my love among the daughters. Some of you have heard me share this little story. I think it's been a while since I shared it. But many years ago, when I was a third grade teacher, I had one of the most interesting young men in my classroom. He was the son of a local African-American pastor. And this kid was incredible. He could come up with a quip. He could put a smile on your face. Uh, you could walk in. I could walk in miserable uh, and see that young man, and he would just light up the room. He was so sharp-witted. One day, my wife had brought me something. I don't remember what it was. I think I'd left my wallet at home, actually. And I called her on my break. She ran it over to the school, walked in. This is back in the day when you could still do this. She walked into my class handed me my wallet. I gave her a little kiss on the cheek. I said, thank you, baby. I love you. She turned around and walked out the door. And this young man turned around to everybody in the class and said, oh, y'all, did you all see that? I looked over at him and I said, son, what are you talking about? And he said, Mr. Hodges, was that little lady the cream in your coffee? I looked at him and I said, what did you say? He looked up and he said, Mr. Hodges, is she the sail on your love boat? I said, boy, where did you learn that? And he said, I bet she's the cinnamon on your toast crunch. I looked at him and I said, where did you hear all this? And he looked over at me and he said, that's how my daddy describes my mama, that she's the sail on his love boat and the cream in his coffee. I thought, that's all right, I like that. But you hear me this morning, when it comes to the Lord, listen now, as God's children, we are the apple of His eye. We are the ones that He died for. We are the ones that He showered His affection upon. We are the ones that He loved so much that He was willing to die to send His Son that we might have eternal life. Hear me. We are the chosen ones. I'm going to give you a message this morning with three points. Number one, note with me, please. In verse number two, we find a perfect comparison. A perfect comparison. It's interesting that when trying to describe his bride, he compares her to a flower. Not just any flower, but a specific flower. Look at verse number two. He says, as the lily 
among thorns. In describing her as a flower, he is pointing out what I'm going to call her attractiveness. Her attractiveness. When he, Solomon, laid eyes upon his bride, he could not help but be swept away by her beauty. In describing her, he compares her to the flower that we read here as the lily. The lily has long been recognized as one of the world's most beautiful flowers. People compete the world over to have prized lilies. It is a, a mark of honor to have a lily that stands out among others. The lily is not easy to grow. It is very temperamental. We could stop right there and shout for about an hour, couldn't we? Am I in? The lily is very temperamental. It takes love. It takes tenderness. It takes patience. You don't just cast seed on the ground and expect a lily to grow. That lily takes an awful lot of tender, loving care in order for it to grow and to see its beauty. When, Song of, when Solomon lifts his eyes and glares upon his beloved wife, he relishes in her beauty. But let me stop a moment and remind you that it wasn't always like that for this bride. By the way, we don't know her name, so I'm just going to keep calling her the bride. If you go back, and we'll look at it later, but if you look at chapter number 1, verses 5 and 6, you will find that this woman was not what you might think of as a prize to be found. In fact, she was a servant she was a field hand. She was not raised in royalty. She was not somebody that you would expect to grow up and be a queen. She was raised working with her hands, plowing the field, if you will. She was just a backwards lady. But one day she caught the eye of the king. One day while out working, one day while out planting, one day while out tending the fields, the king caught her eye. She caught the king's eye. He liked what she saw. She liked what he saw. And suddenly the world began to change. Every time I read that, I think of the story of Boaz and Ruth. And how Ruth is out in the fields working and Boaz stumbles uh, upon the place where Ruth is working, uh, goes uh, to the man in charge and says, Whose damsel is this? In other words, he liked what he saw. He was attracted to her. Uh, and so because of that love, because of that attractiveness, listen, he purposely selects her, calls her out, uh, and she becomes the king's love uh, because of her attractiveness. Not only do you see her attractiveness, but I also want you to note that the lily also represents a beautiful, sweet-smelling aroma. Interestingly, the lily gives off a powerful fragrance. Lotions, oils, perfumes, all try to imitate that smell. It is a smell that is absolutely unmistakable. May I pause just a moment 
and remind you that 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 tells us that for those who love God and are devoted to Him, it is a sweet-smelling fragrance in the nostrils of God. Can I, I hope you'll amen me. Sin doesn't just look bad. Sin smells bad. Sin doesn't just look bad. It smells bad. But you hear me, a clean, holy life doesn't just look good to God. According to the New Testament, it smells good to God. Paul writes to the Roman church, but I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Not only does the lily represent her attractiveness, her aroma, but that lily also represents that bride's ability. That bride's ability. There is a reason why oftentimes in floral arrangements, a lily will take center stage. Often in the spring when lilies are blooming, you will see floral arrangements where a lily, a single lily, will be the center of that arrangement and the entire rest of the arrangement uh, will be sculpted around the beauty of that lily. You hear me this morning? That lily is stunning. It's beautiful to look at. It makes all the other flowers pale in comparison. In short, that lily brings beauty. It brings joy. It brings happiness. May I pause just a moment and say that ought to describe the rest of us as believers as well. God help us. I know these are challenging times. I know we're facing difficulties. But God help us to not be miserable believers who every time we come around, we make everybody else miserable. I want us to bring joy. Help us to bring happiness. Help us to be the kind of people that when we come around, folks don't go, oh no, not them. Number one this morning, note there is a perfect comparison. Not only is there a perfect comparison, there is secondly a pointed contrast. There is a pointed contrast. For Solomon doesn't just compare her to a lily, but notice in verse 2 he calls her as the lily among thorns. That's fascinating. If you read in verse number 1, where he calls himself the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys, he never mentions thorns. But when he describes his bride, he describes her as the lily among thorns. That's interesting. Why, pastor? Because I believe in referring to her as the lily among thorns... He is, number one, describing her prominence. He's describing her prominence. Let me stop simply and say, there, while there are thorns all around for most lilies, most species of lilies uh, 
will come with thorns, but the lily stands out with its head much higher than the thorns all around it. We ought to stop right there and say amen. You see, the lily is different from the rest of what it's surrounded by. There are thorns that surround the infrastructure, the plant of the lily. But the lily itself, with its long stem and with its head held high, stands out from among the thorns. A lily is different from her surroundings. Let me remind everybody listening this morning that it is good and right to be different from the rest of the world. God did not save us uh, to be like uh, everybody else around us. We live in a society today that prides itself and encourages people to be like their surroundings. We live in a society today that teaches teenagers to compromise their faith, to get along, to go along. You hear me. My Bible says to come out from the unclean thing, to be different, to be separated. We're not better than anybody else, but you hear me. We don't have to act like the world to win the world. Notice. Not only her prominence, this is my favorite point. Her position. Her position. Years ago, when Renee and I were first married, we were gifted lilies as a home-warming present. We had been married for a couple of years, lived in Newport News while I finished my education, or part of my education, we moved back home, lived with my parents a few months while we got everything together. Then we bought a little trailer, and we began to set up house in a little trailer in Axton, Virginia. As a homewarming gift, somebody gave us several stargazer lilies. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Beautiful flowers. Renee and I will have been married now for 28 years in December. And interestingly, the 25 years since we have been given those lilies, uh, they still bloom year after year after year. I noticed something this past year that I'm ashamed to tell you I never noticed before. And then as I began to research this message, I uh, began to realize that there is a reason why the lily structure is the way that it is. I challenge you this coming spring to check me out and prove me right. When a lily begins to bloom, the leaves point down, the thorns point down, but the head of the lily always perches up and makes its head face directly towards the sun. In the evening time, as the, as the sun begins to set, that lily's head will droop because if it cannot see the sun, it, man, it can't get the energy. But come the next morning, when that sun begins to rise, you can see the head of that lily literally beginning to point skyward because as long as the lily stands in the glow of the sun, the lily is healthy, the lily is vibrant. You you hear me this morning, uh, child of God. Let's get our heads out of the ground. Uh, we're not a bunch of nobodies. Uh, God doesn't save nobodies. Uh, he makes us into somebodies. Uh, let's keep our eyes focused on him. Notice her prominence, her position. I also want you to notice 
her possessions. Her possessions. You see, friends, according to Genesis, you don't have to turn. Let me, re let me read it to you. Verse number, chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says that cursed is the ground. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Hear me, folks. Prior to chapter 3, Adam and Eve had lived in perfect peace and tranquility. But then the fall of man happens. And everything begins to change. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that thorns are a mark of the curse upon society. Thorns are a reminder that we live in a sin-cursed world. But the lily is a reminder that there is still the good grace of a good God. You know, I don't know about you, but my reality is simply this. She is what she is because he found her. I say to you this morning that if you want to take a deep dive into my past, you'll find an awful lot of thorns. You'll find thistles and you'll find barks that I'm not proud of. You'll find parts of my life that I'd just soon forget. But I am thankful for the day when I caught the eye of a good God and He willingly put those thorns aside. You might see the thorns, but all He sees is the grace of His Son who died. Number one this morning. Number one, there's a perfect comparison. Number two... There is a pointed contrast. Number three, this is where I really want to hone for just a few minutes about where we are as a nation today. Number three, there is a priceless comfort. There is a priceless comfort. For the sake of time, we'll not go read all the verses, but I challenge you today to go home and read the conversation between Solomon and the bride. It's a conversation that goes back and forth. I'll give you a sidebar moment. When Renee and I were engaged, I decided that I wanted to do something special at our wedding. I knew I couldn't sing. Everybody say amen together right there. Amen. Well, you didn't have to say it that loud, sister. Amen. I knew I wasn't going to sing for her so I decided the thing that I could do very easily uh, and have always been able to do since I got saved was memorize scripture so I memorized an entire chapter from Song of Solomon and after we exchanged vows I had already told her daddy who was marrying us that I wanted to say something special that I had Worked on for months and months. Then comes the wedding day. I'm standing there at the altar. And that back door opens and here comes this gorgeous woman walking down the aisle, dressed in white, ready to take me as her husband and her ready to take, I'm ready to take her as my wife. I'll also tell you that Despite her beauty and the gorgeousness of the occasion, we were both sick as dogs. We both caught the flu, 
and we're standing there on our wedding day trying not to pass out, literally. So we go through the vows and have a beautiful wedding ceremony, and my father-in-law turns to me, and he says, all right, Greg, your turn, and all I could do was go. He looked over at me, and he said, go ahead, son, it's your turn, I'm going. I can't do it. I can't do it. He picks at me now, uh, some 25 years later, uh, for this reality uh, that on the day that I had the most planned, uh, on the day that I had everything lined up, uh, I had a frail mind that couldn't bring forward. What are you saying, preacher? If you go through and you read Song of Solomon, and you listen to the conversation that goes back and forth between this husband and this bride, you will find that what, listen, that what excites her the most was the fact that he chose her. Yeah. I want you to go, if you would, go back and look at Song of Solomon chapter 1 for just a moment. Flip back a page. Look at chapter 1. Let's go back, uh, let's go back to verse number 4. This is the bride speaking here. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. Now notice verse 5. This is the bride describing herself. I'm black but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem. As the tents of Keter, as the curtains of Solomon, look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me, my mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. But mine own vineyard have I not kept. Let me paraphrase that, folks. What she is literally saying is that she does not see in herself why the king would choose her. When she looks in the mirror, she does not see a queen. She doesn't see someone worthy of the groom's love. When she sees herself, she sees someone who is flawed with multiple defects, not somebody that a king would choose. Look at, but he chose her anyway. Let me just stop and say, I don't know why he loves me, but I sure am glad he does. I don't know why he chose me, but I'm so glad he did. I don't know what he sees in me, but I'm glad he does. And I don't know why he takes such good care of me, but I sure am thankful that he does. Not only does he choose us, he also claims us. Looking at the same chapter, verse 15, the Bible says this is the bridegroom speaking now. Behold, thou art fair by love. If you go to chapter 2, we've already read it. Verse 2, as the lily among the thorns, so is my love. You can go and read chapter 6, chapter 7, and you will find over and over and over, he describes her as my love. In other words, uh, he's letting everybody know that she belongs to him. He's letting everybody know that he is proudly claiming her as his love. I've said many times in my life that it was a great day when as a seven-year-old child I became a Christian. Thank God for that day. 
But you hear me. It was also a great day in my life when I decided I don't have to apologize for being a child of God. It was a great day in my life uh, when I realized uh, that if He uh, chose me, uh, then I ought to be proud of the fact uh, that I'm part of God's family, not because of what I did, uh, but because of what He did for me. Thank God He claims us as His own. Notice this morning, finally, not only does He choose us and claim us, He also cheers us. He also cheers us if you go and turn you don't have to do it but if you go and turn to chapter number 5 and you read verses 10 through 16 you will see where the bride stops everything that she's doing and tries to describe to those maidens around her how much she loves her bridegroom she talks about his head. She talks about his hands. She talks about his legs. And yes, it gets very intimate. She talks about his muscular body. She talks about how much she loves that bridegroom. And in fact, when you begin to read it, it almost sounds like and feels like that she's running out of words because she loves him so much. It's almost as if she's saying, I just don't have the vocabulary. I just don't have the language to tell you how good my groom is. May I stop a moment and say, I understand that thought completely. I could stand here all day as could Brother Ken or any one of you uh, and try to tell you how good he is, uh, but I don't have the words to tell you how good our God is for his people. I don't have the vocabulary uh, even uh, in the midst of what we face. I don't have the words uh, to tell you uh, just how good it is to be part of the bride. So I'll close this morning with what is probably my favorite illustration that I have had in 19 plus years of pastoring, 25 years of preaching. It is an illustration that I think aptly and beautifully describes how glorious our bridegroom is. A wonderful theologian, I'm done with this, a wonderful theologian, of the 20th century, Dr. Karl Barth, considered by many scholars to be the most brilliant theological mind of the 20th century. Dr. Barth was a prolific writer, wrote volumes about the Christian faith, and on the last day of his career, he is delivering a final lecture where he would teach for many years at Princeton Theological Seminary. This is during the era when Princeton was still a college dedicated to advancing the faith. And as he's closing up his books for the last time, one of the students in the class said, Dr. Barth, with all of your prolific writings, with all of the years you've spent studying the faith, what is the greatest truth you've learned? Dr. Barth, 
closed up his Bible, closed up the volumes of books he had in front of him, took a moment, removed the glasses from his eyes, took out a handkerchief, began wiping tears streaming down his face. He looked at a classroom of young preachers and said, Gentlemen, I have spent 70 years studying the doctrines of the faith. I have poured over manuscripts. I have analyzed the writings of the most brilliant Christian minds. But the greatest truth, the most profound truth that I've learned in 70 years of being a student of the Bible is this. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Would you listen, folks? I can't promise you that this winter is not going to be challenging as our nation continues to grapple with the mess we're in. But here's what I can promise you, that even in mess, we serve a good God. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Thank you so much for your kind attention. I am so thankful uh, for a king that chooses uh, and loves uh, the bride of Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask Brother Ken to softly sing us a song this morning. And I encourage you right where you are to take inventory of your heart. If you're here today, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you're here today, and there is somebody you know right now that is struggling. I want you to call their names out to God in prayer. And may we as God's people be that instrument that draws them closer to you. Brother Ken, sing for us. Need thee every hour. Every hour look this way. Aren't you glad that he's always an ever-present help in a time of need? Yeah, ma'am? You can be seated this morning. Thank you again for coming out. I know it's a little chilly today. Thank you for all of those who are in the parking lot. Man, we got a packed house this morning. We appreciate you being here. And for those that joined via live stream, we appreciate that as well. Fellas, if you'll come forward this morning, ushers, if you'll come help me out, uh, we're going to collect our offering today. Brother Scott, would you help me today with this as well? Uh, we're going to ask God's blessings upon the offering. Uh, thank you for your continued faithfulness. Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for the opportunities that you've given us uh, to serve you. I pray your blessings upon the offering. Uh, May it be what you'd have it to be now in Christ's name. Amen.
much. Only Baptist preachers wipe sweat when it's 40 degrees outside. Amen. Correction on a couple of things. Uh, Sister Patsy Gunner's surgery is December the 9th, not January, as we said a few moments ago. So please be praying for her. Uh, we just found out this morning uh, that uh, uh, Sister Alice Campbell has come home from the hospital. So praise the Lord for that. And continue to lift up Brother Larry. Brother Larry Biggs is here this morning, but he's got lots of health issues he's dealing with. So pray for him. Are you glad you came to church today? Say amen or toot your horn. Thank you for being here. Uh, we love you this morning. You're dismissed. Be careful going home. Lord willing, we'll see you. Wednesday night.